Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. That'll be an interesting meeting today between government officials, actually the Taoiseach's office I believe, and representatives of the hospitality industry Paul Chivold is there in the news Paul's a Palamoyne, and a regular visitor to his restaurant and all that but I, that's nonsense that he's talking about, that they had no idea how to do this my son understood how his vaccine pass worked when he go to a restaurant he understood before the time he went to his first meal with his vaccine pass it's not that sim, that difficult. It's not rocket science. You know? I'm sorry. That's an excuse. I wonder how that meeting is going to go today. Here's what the Taoiseach has been saying. Our officials have a regular engagement with different sectors uh, pertaining to COVID-19. The, the bottom line is, and the broader picture is, that we want to see a maximum compliance with um, existing guidance and existing regulations, particularly in terms of the vaccination certificate. What if they don't? The, the engagement uh, and the engagement up to now with many sectors, including hospitality, has been of a constructive nature. Uh, uh, this will be a constructive um, uh, engagement. I think they're going to get their knuckles wrapped today at that meeting. I see Adrian Cummins from the Restaurants Association was on all the news programmes yesterday, kind of hitting back at the surveys that say, oh, sure, oh, no, all of our members are are checking for... Of course he'd say that, wouldn't he? But the real test is what ordinary people say. So what are you... What's your experience? Like, when you go out for a point or you go out for a bite to eat, it might only be breakfast or brunch or something. What is your experience? Are you being asked for your pass? Are you being asked for your ID? If you're out say last night or the night before even are you being asked have you been asked I know some people who have always been asked and some people who've never been asked I'm always been asked because they know me people know me so like you have to ask me but are people being asked for their pass and for their for their ID 
uh, when they're going into a, a place of hospitality, as it were. Uh, 083 396 96 96 on that one. But to far more important matters, and this is distressing and worrying because we're only in the early part of November and we are seeing midwinter overcrowding levels at CUH. It is a very, very serious situation up there at the, at the moment. And uh, Colm, your family got caught up in the middle of it in the last couple of days. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Hi. What happened? Yeah, um, um, so my partner's um, father, he's over from Germany and um, he had a small accident there uh, about uh, a couple of days ago where he went into South Dock uh, he got treated. Everything was fine. They said, "Look, you know, if something if something happens, and uh, you know, come back, you know, if something if there's a if there's any problems, because it was quite a deep wound, you know." Mm-hmm. Um. So, um, something happened. You know, um, he came in on um on Saturday uh, morning, and uh, his foot had kind of had swelled up. So we rang South Dock again and just explained the situation, and um, you know, they referred us into A&E in the CUH without really looking at, at his foot, right? So he basically, you know, he, we said, you know, it could be an infection, you know, best place for him is A&E in CUH. Um, they didn't, you know, and that was kind of the conversation, go into A&E as, as soon as possible. So we were in there for about uh, nine, nine o'clock um, in the morning. And um, he, you know, he didn't get looked at until 2 a.m., um, that night, and that was only because he got very agitated. To be honest, you know, mm. he, he, it was it was uh, it was really like he was he's, he was flying out the following day. You know, yeah. he needed to get him up to Dublin Airport the following day. So he he um, uh, he uh, he it was just an awful experience. It was and like you know, I don't know if he should have been there because really when when he was assessed, it was a five minute job. Yeah, he, we, his foot wasn't infected, um, so he was basically there. When he shouldn't have been, and there was loads of other people there who probably should, you know, who probably could. But you'd have, wonder could if have. it wasn't infected, uh, why did they send him up there in the first place? Why not just give him painkillers or something to reduce the inflammation or whatever? You'd wonder, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the problem. Like basically, in, in the situation that's there at the moment, you know, South Dock is a better place for a lot of people. You know, at least we can stay at, at home. We can get the call, go into the doctors, you know, have them look at it and do the minor operations or whatever, or do the assessments or whatever. Um, they really shouldn't be, you know, and nobody should be um, sending people on to, cor- to COHA&E at the moment, the way it is at the moment. Um, you know, because they're going to be stuck in a room um, for hours and hours and hours. There's no, there's no real, um, you know, there's no real care there. There's no, there's no assessments happening. There's nobody um, able to really look after them, and uh, it's a long time. And you know, there's COVID there, and yeah. you know, there's 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 normal patients there. It's not a good, not a healthy environment for anybody to be referred yeah. there. And you know, like if if it is an A and E thing, uh, you know, like think about somewhere else. But CUH is is definitely not the place anybody should be going to at the moment. He wasn't the only elderly patient there you saw that night, I think. No, so there was an 87-year-old man. Um, yeah, um, my, my partner went in because she had to translate for him, so she was kind of, you know, looking after a whole some other people there, you know. Um, but there was a number of people, very elderly. There was an 87-year-old man, you know, sleeping on the floor, um, you know, and in a lot of distress. Um, there was another on the man floor. Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, the, he he was. You know, there was no place for them. There's not. There's not even trolleys there. The Did moment, he even have know? a mattress under him? 
I, he might have had a mattress or something like that. I'm not sure, but but like, look, you know, 87 years of age, oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and um, yeah. So um, lots of people walking out as well. So that's 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 another thing, right? You know, people getting fed up and walking out, and you know, um, like we were worried about this because you know, if my 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 partner's father had a serious infection, we're back to square one again. Do you know what I mean? If this was to get, was to get worse, and if any of them um were to were were to have something serious well then you know then they could be in trouble so yeah. like it's it's not the option it's not it's never the option you're in there you're in the system and then you basically say okay i'm walking out um you know but there was a lot of a lot of situations like that you he's know. german you say yeah uh, what 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 would that ha- would that happen back in his hometown or home city <laughs> <laughs> I think you know the answer to that. He got he got seen to straight away once he got back to Germany. Yeah, yeah. literally. You know, and the minute he stepped yeah, off the plane, like pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Professor you know. Connor DC, who's the head of the ED up there at the moment, was saying yesterday, according to the Echo, that it's at bursting point. And um, we, yeah. we've been asking. Uh, Dr. DC or Professor DC to come on with us. He just doesn't have the time. The man is just yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. flat out. But they are. They're run off their feet up there at the moment. Yeah. And there's no blame to the nurses and doctors. It's just there's too many nope. people have been referred in there. And it's the funnel. It's the funnel for Cork and yeah. Kerry and Waterford after five o'clock. Yeah. Is he all right now that he's gone back to Germany? He is? He is, yeah, he is, yeah, Good. he is. I mean, it was it was just that he was he was very agitated uh, at the time, you know. And then there's this whole thing of, you know, he who screams loudest, kind of, you know. I mean, I, I don't know why that that 87 year old man got looked at. You know what I mean? It's yeah, kind of, you know, look, it, it, it's the the doctors did a fantastic job. Like the the doctor who assessed him um, did a great job and was able to basically pinpoint the issue, um, straight away. So, you know, like I suppose the minimum, it would be great if there was some sort of way of some sort of assessment there so that anybody who doesn't need to be there can be sent back home with an antibiotic or with dressing. Okay. Look, I'm not, not trying to kind of solve their problems for them, but you know what I mean? Just to make, there needs to be a better filtering system. And and to be fair to the CUH and, and all beyond and all belong to it. They're just taking too much pressure. They're taking the yeah. ED flow for half a province, basically. It's it's too yeah. much. It's too much. Colm, thanks very much, and our best uh, to you, to your partner's father. Uh, thanks for that. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. That's the problem. And we've how many times on the program have we covered it? That after five o'clock in the evening, everything goes into the ED at CUH and South Dock have so little time with patients now that if it's not something that they can do there and then with a prescription or something, off up to the ED with them for safety's sake, which isn't helping at all. It's also taking its toll on paramedics, a distressing story of an ambulance crash and the, the only cause of it surely has to be exhaustion. That's next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. 
Sunday. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Douglas Court Shopping Centre. They've got everything you need and more. Visit douglascourt.ie. Courts 96 FM. You know, if I'm driving a truckload of baked beans across Europe, I can only drive, by law, I can only drive for a certain amount of time before I have to pull that truck up and take rest. It's mandatory. It's the law. Yet, at the moment, ambulance crews in West Cork are running 18-hour shifts. They're supposed to be on a 12-hour shift, but sometimes that shift is running to as much as 18 hours. Southern Star has a story at the moment that an ambulance crash early on Sunday morning has now led to some members of the ambulance service saying that the service is at crisis point. And now some crews are refusing to go back to base because they've been out on the road for 18 hours and the HSE is putting them up in hotels just so they can get some rest. There was an ambulance went off the road just before 7 o'clock last Sunday morning just outside Kalekill near Bantry. Went into a ditch. Now nobody was injured and there was no patients on board, mercifully. But how long had that ambulance been on the road. Uh, Members of the crew... Now, the ambulance crew can't really speak to you by name because there's all sorts of problems with that, but one person spoke, I suppose, on cover of not being named to the Southern Star and and, and said that their 12-hour shift is regularly extended to 14, 16 or sometimes 18 hours. There are four ambulances in West Cork, but they're now travelling massive distances and attending life-threatening calls in the city and in Kerry on a daily basis. And they're having to apologise, on the one hand, to patients for the length of time it takes to get there. The ambulance crews are just stressed out and worked flat out. Edward Buckley is a retired Cork City fire officer. Uh, And and Edward, you're concerned for, for this, I think. You're concerned that someone will have a very serious accident in an ambulance because they're just knackered. Morning. Absolutely. Yes, good morning. <clears throat> Absolutely. It's, um, I suppose it's gone to a stage now to, to very, very serious. And uh, I speak now as, a, as an individual. I don't speak for anyone else, but it's something that has concerned me for quite some time. Yeah. Because these people, men and women in the ambulance service, and I have no problem saying it, they, the quality of care that they give is second to none. Absolutely. They're highly trained. They have the best of equipment. They have the best vehicles, you name it but they just can't deliver when it comes to time. There you hear stories of, of uh, people waiting for hours for ambulances. I go back in my career, uh, going back some years, and uh, often in the city centre, waiting in a, as a road traffic situation or a fire situation, river rescue, whatever the case is, it wouldn't be unusual, especially on the weekends, to hear that uh, there was no ambulance available. Okay. And we had to wait for one to come from Cork, uh, West Cork or North Cork or whatever the case was. And the thing about it is when those crews arrive at these situations, they feel that they've left the people down. They're frustrated, they're tired, and this and that, through no fault of their own. Yeah. Because it's come to a situation which is has to be addressed by someone seriously and very quickly, that they they could be taking a patient to Cork, that, that you mentioned there very well about the, um, the ambulance service from West Cork, and you have ambulances coming from as far as Waterford into Cork City, and they, I met a crew some time back there, and they, they were from Watford, and they had come up to Cork with a patient early in the early morning and never left Cork for hours because while they were in the Cork area, they had to respond to calls. 
because of this call-out system yeah. that's in place. It's the near, it's, so when I explained to me one time, I think it's, Ted Kenny is the SIP2 union man, and he explained it to me on a call here one day, Ed. He said, literally, when a, go, a call goes into dispatch, the, the system can tell them where the nearest ambulance is, and that's the Absolutely. one that goes. That's the one that goes. And then you have somebody who's down in West Cork, whatever, but the ambulance up here in Cork, and they're down there waiting for an ambulance, and, and what do they do? They're probably depending on something from Kerry or whatever the case it is. Now, what worries me greatly, um, because I think they're, they're wonderful people, they're highly trained, as I said, mm-hmm. and they have to update their training at all times. And when you get into the care of a paramedic, you're in good, safe hands. And yes. I've no problem saying that. Yes. I've seen it for myself, and you have to see it. And the thing about it is that they are frustrated because a lot of the time they're going to cause where they're being abused. And I've seen that also. Because they've been abused, we've been delayed and everything else, and we're hearing talk of hours delays, you know, which is is, is, is not right at all. We were always taught as first aiders and as young men, and even today, about the golden hour. Yeah. That if you have a trauma situation, then if you, from the time you have the trauma, from the time you're back into a hospital in an hour, your chances of a recovery or survival are much greater, much greater. Mm-hmm. And when you think if you have to wait for a half an hour for an ambulance or an hour for an ambulance, and I've heard of cases where there's even two hours. Yeah. I'm not sure about that, as I said, ever just what I hear. Yeah. Ed, you're retired now at a couple of years, but take, us, what, take yes. us back to, your, your, as the fan said, your own heyday. I, like, what has changed? Well, I think what has changed, there's a huge demand on the service. There is a huge demand on the service. There is a huge demand on any department. And my heart goes out to the likes of student nurses, uh, nurse staff, nurses, doctors, and everything else in any department. There has to be a system where, if you look at it, you have trauma and you have accidents, and that's a daily basis, and that's a fact of life. But you look at weekends, then where you have alcohol related injuries and drug overdoses and everything else like that, which is unfortunate, very, very unfortunate. But at that time, I mean, you wouldn't want to be having a mishap at home because you're not going to get an ambulance. That's the chances of you not getting an ambulance. And what they have done to try and rectify that is that they put motorcycles here on Cork, paramedics on motorcycles. The fire service uh, have a cardiac unit, which we implemented many years ago when I was there, and that can respond to life-threatening conditions, but that is only to sustain the patient. It yeah. doesn't transport the patient to the hospital. Yeah. I do believe, personally speaking, uh, because I have great time for the, the ambulance service and for rescue service in, in, uh, by and large, is that um, there is a huge delay, and that delay, unfortunately, when you talk about the golden hour and you talk somebody who's not breathing with a cardiac arrest or whatever the case it is, you have no time to be waiting. Yeah. And it begs, the, what can you do yourself at home? And I dread to think what can happen as I'm getting older myself. So how long would I be waiting for an ambulance? And that's, and that's a real concern. You know, Ed, in the older, and I'm not talking 100 years ago now, but I'm talking when I was a schoolboy, I remember the red ambulance, the, the fire right. brigade ambulance. And in Dublin, they still have one, don't they, they in every major the station. What, what happened? Indeed. I mean, is it time to reconsider that, to put an ambulance in every fire station and have paramedics there that you can actually, go, like, go out with the, with the brigade with the to do a yes, trauma, yes. you know? Yes. Well, what has happened, uh, no, I worked on the fire brigade ambulance a years oh, ago, okay. and um, I've been one of the younger members at the time, you were given the job of the ambulance, which was uh, very challenging, very rewarding too, at the same time. But the difference there was that the ambulance was in the station, and the ambulance had no other duties right. other than to mend the ambulance. So if the ambulance came in, the, amb- the call came in for the ambulance, the ambulance was open in a minute. 
And so that the scene was in five, six, seven, eight, nine minutes, whatever the case it was. The difference today is the, 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 the system that's in place where the ambulance has to go out and it has to, um, you know, there, there's a huge difference. The ambulance could be doing some other calls, transfer, for instance, to uh, some other yeah. uh, facility, and he might get the call on the radio to go here and everything else. Whereas the fire brigade ambulance had nothing else to do, only to wait for the call. Yeah. If you understand. I, I'm, I'm thinking of a situation. Take now an area there. Take Anglesey Street. Take a bad yeah. crash uh, around the corner there at the edge of the of, of the Link Road, and someone is injured. Yes. They could be waiting an hour for an ambulance to come from wherever it is, and yet there could be an ambulance parked around the corner in the fire station. Absolutely. You're quite right. You're quite right there. The only thing is that a lot has changed, and it has changed for the better, I'd right. Now, fire service crews, even today, they have their basic life support. They do defibrillation. They have all the equipment on board, fire engines and the specialist unit, crash units and everything else. But as I said, they can't transport the patient. And the thing about it is, you have to wait for the ambulance service then to come along and to do that job for you. Mm, but it still happens it, in Dublin, doesn't it? It does, but I think there's problems in Dublin as well, from what I hear in the past there in the media, yeah. how the ambulance service in Dublin, uh, the fire service is, uh, the fire service ambulance is, I might be wrong on this, and I open to correction, it may not be as effective mm. as it used to be. I do believe, I, was, I remember being up there one time when there was a, there was a crisis among emergency personnel and there was a, a protest in Dublin. I remember talking to one or two of the lads from the fire brigade ambulances yes, in Dublin yes. and they said that they were training as paramedics and that now there is a paramedic at least on every ambulance. There mightn't have been oh, in yes. the past but there is a, right. a, a trained paramedic on every ambulance. It would, would, I think, would only make simple sense, Edward, to, 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 to take the pressure off to bring them back. Well, I, I said that's that an awful lot on that, quite honestly. There is. There is because, as I said, I mean, even though the fire service today is under enormous pressure as well, yeah. because when you think about it, the, the fire service they go to, the fire isn't the only thing they respond to. They refer to all sorts of um, different situations. Crashes. And, yeah. and I absolutely remember rescue and self-harm and God knows what. And it used to be the case, as I said, like that, when you turned up, when, I, when, my, when my days, you turned up there and the fire brigade ambulance was there, or indeed, the, the latter years, you turned up and the, 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 the National Ambulance Service was there with you. But it has decreased, decreased because through no fault of the, the personnel. None, and none that ever was. We should be very clear about that. I, I wouldn't well, like anyone to get that from our conversation. We're, absolutely. The people, I mean, the, many, many, the training, the, yeah, many of them were my friends as well. When I was working in news, I knew many of them very, very well. Brilliant, absolutely. brilliant people. You know? And the training that they go through today is second to none as I said, I mean, we didn't have as much as, as good a training back in those days that we had our support and we did a good job and everything else. We were very proud of it. Yeah. But the training that they have today is, uh, is, in, is unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. And it's great. And the training and is no good say, if it's 40 miles away, Ed. Not at all. And another thing about, as you said, you, as you mentioned there in the opening part of your program there, is that the length of time, very, very, they don't even get a break. How often have you seen ambulance crews, even in our own city here, putting up outside the shop going to get a sandwich? Eight years while they're on, in, in the vehicle, they don't finish on their designated time, the 12-hour shift, they can work four hours afterwards. And there was a case, there was a case not too long ago, and um, where an ambulance crew finished their shift and then they were told that they had to take a patient 
to, up to Dublin. And because they refused to do that on the health and safety, which they were quite right, quite right, there was huge repercussions because I remember of that. The story, I do. Yeah, and, and that's that's not right. That's yeah. not right to the people. It's not right to the patients. Everything else, you know. Well, as I, as I said in the introduction, there, Ed, if I was driving a lorry load of baked beans across You'd Europe, I have to stop and rest you and sleep and eat for a, a period you of do time. Indeed. You know, you do indeed. You do indeed. And yet, it's expected of them to carry on. And again, as I said, not alone are they the victims of that, but you see, as you mentioned. The, the call, the previous call, that the opposite is uh, his partner's um, father, father, yeah. and you're inside in the accident in emergency rooms. I mean, it's pitiful. It's something like you see in the third world, the way the and the way the staff have to try and work around them and to get to them and paperwork and God knows what. It's frightening. It's absolutely frightening what's going on today. And Ed, you're a man who gave many, many years of dedicated service to the city in your role as a fire officer. Thank you for that service and indeed for your wise words this morning. Retired to Cork City Fire Officer Edward Buckley. We're also hearing about another crash in East Cork within the past week or so. Like it's, 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 and a very personal memory. And, and they were two brilliant guys and they got dad to hospital. But the night that my dad passed away uh, in January of 2018, we called an ambulance um, and he was pleading with us. He didn't want to go into the ED because he thought, God almighty, I'll be there all night. But that's a by the by. But that ambulance came, two brilliant lads in it. They were just magnificent. But they came from Dungarvan. From Dungarvan, lads. Fairness now. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. Right, Seamus, you're next on the radio. Just hold on a second for me. Quick traffic update from uh, Ken Perrett. Higher on the road coming down from the Glen to where it meets at the Blackpool Bypass. It's a big tyre and it's on the inside lane and it's affecting traffic that's coming down the hill because you can't pass it safely. You have to merge into the next lane. Once again, that's coming down from the Glen from the Balavalan direction to where that meets just before the lights at the Blackpool Bypass. Ken, thank you. Now, Seamus, you wanted to say something about the ambulance situation. Good morning. Yeah, I'm just wondering why... um they don't use the voluntary services that are in the country. You have John's Ambulance or the Ramalda Red Cross. Yeah. They're the three I know of, but there's probably another one or two. Civil Defence. Yeah. Civil Defence, yeah, sorry, I forgot about them. There's probably another one or two. You know, like, a lot of these people are trained up to emergency medical technician level. Yes, they are. You know, and they could be used at weekends and things like that to take a lot of the strain off for the non-critical stuff. You take the English service, their crews in the army ambulance are crewed to EMT level. That's right. Paramedics That's and advanced paramedics are available if required. Yes. Yeah. You know, I like, I mean, you look at it this way, you could probably put 30, 40 ambulances more into the service that could be used in non-critical yeah. things. That makes great sense, Seamus. Great point. Well made. Thank you very much. A lot of ambulances, and they are sitting out at the depot there, 
at Tremor Road because there's no staff for them. And as Seamus says, there's plenty of qualified people. I mean, moving Nana from the hospital back to her nursing home is an essential trip, but it's not an emergency. It doesn't require an advanced paramedic to do it, but there are plenty of people who could drive Nana back to the nursing home and have that level of qualification to do it while the emergency personnel deal with emergencies. And that's a good point, Seamus, and well made. Thank you very much. I think in the last number of years, one of the well-known people whose sudden death affected many of us so deeply was the passing of Anthony Foley. I will never forget, I was driving across Toker on a Sunday afternoon, heading home, actually to watch the Munster match. And we got the news that Axel had passed away suddenly. i never forget it. It was like getting a kick in the chest because it was a man who okay, knew him through work. I knew him to talk to, to meet, to speak to. Didn't know him well at all. But because of my being a rugby fan, I had just a massive affection for him. And the affection for Anthony Foley, I think, remarkable in terms of, of, of any sports star that has passed away, or any star of any kind that has passed away suddenly in, in recent memory. And it's his fifth anniversary. And a new song is coming out. Uh, to raise some funds. I'm joined by Axel's sister, Orla. Orla, good morning to you. Good morning. How Thank are you, you all doing? For, uh, we're doing well. We're doing well. We've learned to walk with grief and we're um, making the most out of life and counting what lessons we have. And um, Dad and Rosie in particular are getting great joy out of the next generation. My niece and nephew's um, sporting um, sporting prowess and their joy that they get out yeah. of sport. How, how are um, Olive and Tom and Dan? It's Tom and Dan, isn't it? Uh, Tony and Dan. Tony and Dan yeah. Oh my God. You get a surprise if you met the boys. They're, they're nearly as tall as their dad. They're fine young fellas and Olive's amazing. She does a lot oh, of her own great work with uh, the Children's Grief Centre. She does super work. Yeah. Uh, the she's privilege a of a brief interview with her. She's, she's remarkable. So tell me about this new she song. She sure is. Um, this new song is also remarkable. It's a work of art, to be fair, to Barry Murphy. It's... Um, it's one of the bravest songs I've ever heard and also one of the most vulnerable and raw. I felt like I was reading his diary after, you know, as I was listening to it. And um, I'm just absolutely over the moon that he has donated it to my Wild Ways um, fundraiser. It's been very generous of him um, to write it and share it. And I just think it's such a beautiful song. I'm still laughing. One of the best quotes I heard yesterday from someone was it's disgustingly beautiful. <laughs> so, <laughs> tell, tell me about Wild Ways. This time last year, I undertook to cycle the Wild Atlantic Way. Thanks to one of the silver linings of the pandemic was I had no um, events or anything to do at the weekend. So I had free time. So in my free time, I cycled the Wild Atlantic Way uh, around 3,000 kilometres in memory of Anthony. And it was one of the most epic, amazing, rewarding journeys. And I've over um, 10,000 euros raised so far. And Barry's contribution, I think at last I heard it was near 3,000. So, um, so far in a day, because it's, the song is available to download from the idonate.ie uh, Lone You Stand platform. And it's absolutely, it, it's great to support these three wonderful charities. Yeah. Um, there are three charities close to my heart. Um, I, 
we would have been screened by CRY, who provide free screening for families like ours who would be at risk of sudden ad- adult death. Um, and they also provide bereavement services. And then CARI, who provide uh, free support for sexually abused children and their families, uh, who do incredible work. And also um, the Midwest Cancer Foundation, who was Anthony's um, charity of choice. He was the ambassador for them and he's setting the board and they provide free free um, support services and counselling for oncology patients in the Midwest. They're just fabulous, fabulous. It's great to... It's great to keep his memory alive in something positive. As I said about the song and all these wonderful things that have come out, it's like out of my darkest moment and this is the most saddest thing I have ever known. And as you described so beautifully there, how my brother's death affected you. Yeah. You know, we were all terribly affected. It wasn't just me. It was you. It was the woman on the street. It was yeah. people that didn't even know him. You know, so it was just... I, I remember at the time thinking to myself... You know, Olive and 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 people like yourself, the, to realise how much he was just loved. It was must have been it's remarkable, hard to take in. I'd say hard to take in, and yeah, also a life lesson because the week after he died, I felt you know, God, it was awful. But he, you know, he didn't know how loved he was. And then I realised none of us know how loved we are you know, in this life. And, it, you know, it, unfortunately, it might take death before you know how loved you are. Yes, yeah. who knows, maybe we'll all be, be able to see the sea of love around us. And yeah. that's exactly what I feel I'm swimming in, you know, with the amount of level of support we've received since yeah. Anthony died. is It's like a sea of love. It carried us the week of the funeral. Yeah. Like, there's no way you'd have told me I would have been able to do what we did, except there was this amazing energy that was yeah. coming off people's open hearts towards us and really helping us. It was just magic. And it, even to bring in this song, like Regeneron were amazing. They covered the sponsorship, they sponsored the production of the song. The IRFU have been amazing. Yeah. They're officially launching it at the Aviva. Yeah, half time of an Ireland New Zealand game. Like, I, I was just going to get to that. How much that means. Like, what, what a big moment! <laughs> I, the New Zealand match. Like, oh. I would never. You, you'll never forget. I'll never forget what happened at the 2016 match after oh, Anthony died. But just, but there's such a huge meaning to your family about an All Blacks match, isn't there? Oh, just such a huge meaning. Like as you know, my dad was on the 78 team. Anthony played them a few times. All he wanted to do was beat the All Blacks so he could he could finally have got his Irish caps and beaten the All Blacks up there with Dad. And uh, Barry himself played on the Munster team in 2008 and scored a wonderful try. But nearly, nearly they were robbed. They were nearly beating the All Blacks. Yeah. And then for the actual Chicago game in 2016, oh my God. Soldiers and the field. reverse score. Yeah, it was just, just... You know, and I watched that with my parents and it was just a really magic, poignant moment. And that was very early. I think that was probably three weeks after Anthony's death. It was very early on the grief journey. And it was just, I suppose it just shows, you know, we we saw the monster response. We saw the club responses. But to see it at the Irish level, it was such an honour. It was really very, whoever thought of it, it was a very... um, poignant inspired moment where can we get the song Orla 
You can get it from I Donate platform, uh, Alone You Stand, and there's ads and QR codes everywhere at this stage. Um, It's a brilliant platform. It's a one click and people can donate as little as they want or as much as they want. And then at the end of it, they download the song. And um, I look forward to hearing more responses to it because I think Barry has has done something really magic and it's great to be part of something magic. It's a privilege. It's called Alone You Stand, which in itself is a a, a very... Uh, apt title Orla thank you very much for that and convey uh, my best wishes to all of the family the 5th anniversary of Axel's death but of course the release of that song Saturday it's formally released Saturday half time in the All Blacks match there's a a meeting taking place to or has taken place to discuss a change in traffic in Blarney Street am I good to go with that if you want to let me know in my ear whether I am or not am I good to go with that otherwise um, an ambulance had to call for my father in law recently it took an hour to arrive because it had to come from Balivorny you see I mean, why on earth uh, lorry drivers this is the point I was making lorry drivers have to take a break after four and a half hours it's the law you're only allowed nine hours a day or nine hours a shift and they have tachographs which the guards will check. What about opening up the private hospitals? I have health insurance, but I can't go to a private hospital after a certain time uh, when the emergency department closes. Why don't they start doing 24-7 EDs in the private hospitals? So that if you do have insurance, you could go there instead of holding up CUH, a service you're paying for anyway. That's a great idea. Uh, some of the private hospitals do have their own ED. For example, I think the Matter Private, it does. Why am I saying? I think, I know, the Matter Private has its own emergency department, uh, but it, I don't, it's not open around the clock. That's true. Tom Coleman uh, is with the Blarney Street uh, City Association. Uh, they, you know you can go up or down Blarney Street, and for years people, <laughs> why the hell can you go up or down Blarney Street, like it's 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 way too narrow. Which would be preferable for the locals, Tom? A one way up or one way down? Good morning. Um, well, we have a proposal in PJ to make it one way and to go up, right? And to use the the slip roads then that we that are existing to alleviate the traffic gridlock that we are experiencing locally, yeah. you know. One way up would make sense because we're way out of the city, rather from the north. Get bridge in exactly. that, that area. Yeah. You're talking about a kind of a complete circle as regards traffic management, PJ. It is not alone. Blarney Street in itself, you have a joining, you have the North Mall, as you quite rightly said, Sunday's Well, and you have Shannock Hill and the Blarney Road, all that circle. And uh, we're experiencing freight lorries coming down the street now, and it's the longest street in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't changed since then as regards the width or the length of it, for that matter. Yeah. And uh, it's gone beyond uh, a joke at this age. Mm. And considering that we uh, sat down with the town planners back in 1990, over 30 years ago, and we had the foresight to see what's ahead of us and what we could plan for. And I declare it was traffic a major problem in 1990, even then, from the report at that stage. Yeah. And nothing has happened. And uh, lives will be lost, PJ. Uh, considering, um, but there's no quality of life whatsoever for the residents there. Yeah. They can barely uh, park their cars, which is very unfair, really. You know? And people are living, for those who wouldn't know the area town, people are living directly on the street. That's the point, that's the whole point. Um, there, there, there's, no, there's no 
leeway whatsoever and you're taking your life in, in your hands even to cross the road for that matter we've no pedestrian crossings either and it's a, a complete uplift that we're looking for really and we're looking for the opportunity to negotiate with the Cork City Council with our local uh, representatives needless to mention and yeah. um, to see can we resolve this major problem As you well know these things take time and rather a lot of it so have you had any response so far? Not really. Uh, we know that the local councillors are arranging a meeting uh, with David Joyce, and the sooner the better, because uh, did anyone ever consider that Patrick Street could be restricted from traffic? And uh, now we have locally the the longest street in Ireland, and, you know, untouched at this stage, and it can't continue, because needless to mention, you'd be well aware of PJ as well. There's a lot of developments happening in the suburban areas as well, right? That's right. And they're frequent Blarney Street and people are are dreading even approaching Blarney Street. And when you consider it back even in 1990, we had 58 businesses locally here. And today you could count them on on your two ends. And that's unfair because, you know, uh, even at the end of the street in Catholic Market Street was, was commercially renowned for employment. They're planning presently in there for 27 units, which would compound matters again as again as parking in a safe environment there as yeah. well, you know. So, you, so, so you, we have multiple kind of problems yeah. as against traffic. So you're hoping to get uh, at least some progress uh, on the one way up that they want Blarney Street to be. One way up Blarney Street. Go and have a look at it. If you're not familiar with the area, have a look at Blarney Street. Like you said, the longest street in Ireland and probably one of the narrowest in some places as well. Tom Coleman, thank you. 1850-715-996. Mags remembers the way in which every radio station came together the day of Anthony's funeral and played the fields of Athenry. It says it all about the man and how much he was and how much he is loved. And Mags, yes, and that idea... That idea started here, and we got all the radio stations on board, and it started here uh, in this group of radio stations to get that Fields of Athenry played, and I'll never forget it. I'll never. There wasn't a dry eye in the country, I'd say. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. A fundraising event will take place at the Blackbird Bar Bally Cotton on Friday the 12th of November at 7.30pm. An evening of food and fun. Tickets are available at the Blackbird Bar and the event will be raising money for the Irish Cancer Society. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Many, many comments and messages about ambulances and hospital waiting times and all of that. And plenty more besides. And a whole bunch of stuff on people, whether you're not, whether or not you're being checked for your vaccination COVID pass or your ID going into pubs and restaurants on, uh, given that the Taoiseach is meeting and government officials are meeting the restaurant industry and the pubs today uh, to get them to pull up their socks over the vaccination passes 
We just wanted to ask listeners this morning, what's been your experience? You know, if you're going to a pub or going to a restaurant or whatever, are you being asked for your past? Are you being asked for ID? How often is it happening? Is it happening everywhere? Is it happening in a few places? Is it not happening at all? Quite a number of responses, and it's a fairly mixed bag, I will have to tell you. Then on the um, ambulances, one that stands out, and this is on the rescue services, I think. Uh, I don't know who this person is, but thank you for it. I'm glad that your mother-in-law is okay. She was rescued. My mother-in-law says this call was rescued in Ballycotton on the 29th of October. She was missing. There was a massive response to the appeal. She was located safe and well and is now back home. It was a horrible night. We just want to thank everyone who responded. We are extremely grateful. Thanks for that. 1850 There's a documentary tonight on RTE at quarter past ten. It was on uh, UTV uh, the other night and it's called The Missing Babies or The Missing Children and it is a two and babies documentary. Uh, we, we all know the story now. We all know what was found in Tuam and the site of the old mother and baby home. The Missing Children is a... It's the story of people who spent time at that institution to him and the truth or the search for the truth about what happened and I'm joined by one of the producers of the documentary uh, the journalist who originally broke the tomb baby's story and uh, the author of a book called My Name is Bridget Alison O'Reilly Ali good morning to you Good morning how are you thanks a million for having me on oh, Good to have you good to have you from the day this story broke uh, it's been question after question after question. And there's, I know there's a lot of work. There's months of work mm. gone into this documentary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was shot in uh, the US, the UK and Ireland. And uh, it uh, was shot over uh, four or five years. And it was with a UK production company who showed an interest in the mother and baby homes here. Um, and as you know, PJ, Toom lifted the lid on all the mother and baby homes, including Besper and Shanras Abbey and Castle Pollard and Cork County Home and all of these places. And uh, I suppose <clears throat> because it started with the Toom story and the international community would be able to relate to the 800 babies in a mass grave headline that came out in 2014, that the way into this is to, if you tell one story, you're telling pretty much what happened all over the country and uh, it's absolutely horrifying you know to 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 see and hear it all again but there's there is new elements to this documentary it's a feature film it's 90 minutes and um we've new information in it because Neve McCullough who is the um forensic archaeologist who did the test excavations at the site of tomb which uncovered significant quantities of human remains in those uh, chambers of the sewage tank where they're buried, she appears in the documentary and she explains that you know, people want to know how many children are in there and how many of the 796, she doesn't know, she said it's more than 10 it's less than 100, it's you know but it is a significant quantity, however they were all doing test excavations. This wasn't a full excavation and this is what we're still hoping for with the tomb. Mm. But she said that the hoarding that they put up around the tomb site was only meant to hold the place safe for six months and that was 2016. And here we are, 2021. And it's still there. Still there, no movement. And she said as an archaeologist, she's never walked away from a site like that. 
Like these are children's remains. And and, and I suppose one of the, the questions, and again, it ref- I believe it reflects on, on all, all these mother and baby homes and institutions that why do we need legislation to excavate children out of a sewage tank that's on council ground? I don't understand that because I've spoken at great length to Professor Dame Sue Black, who led the identification parade and programme in uh, the tsunami and she's excavated children's mass graves in Kosovo. It has been done. Mm. So I don't understand this legislation. I don't understand that at all. Mm. Now you've been working since day one, Addison, with of course the great Catherine Corliss. Yes, that work continues. It does, yeah. I mean, she's just, Catherine's just an incredible person, you know, and I think what makes her so special is that she wasn't a paid historian with a big team behind her. This was just a woman with an interest in her local history and uh, a children's grave and the home and she had her own memories of the home. And so she went looking for the names of these children. And uh, and at the same time in Dublin, Anna Corrigan was looking into the personal story of her mother who kept from her that she had two babies born in the tomb home who are believed to be dead. And that was the essence of that story. And I think as well, PJ, as you know, you've been working on um, these types of stories for many years with a lot of survivors and a lot of advocates. And we needed a tomb story. We needed something to get into the whole Mm -hmm. thing because it's not just about tomb. No, but it it opened the door. It opened the door to the Commission of Inquiry. It opened the door to people asking questions they'd never asked Mm. before, speaking truths they'd never spoken before, stories that came forward to me here on the programme of horrible things that happened in Besbra that were never spoken before. So that was a great bit of work exposing that story back in back in the day. It's tonight, uh, quarter past one on on RT or quarter past ten rather on RTE one. Alison, we look forward to it. Unfortunately, I had wrong words to use, but we look forward to watching it because it's a remarkable piece of work. I imagine it'll be very, very upsetting uh, to watch. But thank you for that, Alison Rowley, one of the producers of The Missing Children uh, tonight on RTE Quarter Past Ten. Speaking of documentaries, can I recommend something? I watched it last night. I sat up late watching it um, because it was going mad on Twitter. Uh, Keelan Shanley the, the newscaster from RT, the journalist uh, who died of cancer. She died, actually. Uh, her death was announced the morning of the election count in, in 2020. But what very few of us knew, very few of us knew, was that Keelan had been battling cancer for nearly 10 years at that stage. And the documentary made by her her husband, but deeply, deeply personal, and she was interviewed in that documentary right up until... The time she went into hospital for the last time, she was still being interviewed for the documentary. It was a stunning, stunning, stunning piece of television, which I watched last night, probably on the player. You'll, you'll find it. 1857 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Quick reminder to you to join Trevor Welsh for Premier League Live on Saturdays from midday on Cork's 96FM's app and at 96FM.ie. It's all powered by Talk Sport. Pre-match 
match analysis, live commentary, exclusive interviews and all the post-match breakdowns that matter on Premier League Live Online with now stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership, your sport on your terms, streaming only the games that matter to you most with now and listening Saturday on the Quark's 96FM app or indeed go to 96FM.ie. A young man needed to see a doctor, says Tom, and they said no one was available. Fair enough. They offered an appointment. So, okay, four to five weeks into the future. This young man then saw his own doctor and needs to see him. Or he has his own doctor, rather, and needs to see him. Now, I know they triage their appointments or tried to over the phone. But the reason people go to the doctor a lot of the time is to make sure it's nothing serious. There's going to be some awful incidents with this lack of doctors. All I hear on radio, TV and newspapers is see your doctor. The media are not on the planet at all. You can't just rock up to any doctor you fancy. Some people have to see their own doctor for very specific reasons anyway. The only reason we keep repeating to people to see your doctor is that that is what you're supposed to say. I mean, many, many walk, many times in life, the first person you should call is your doctor. We do appreciate that there were problems. We do. I promise you we do, Tom, but the advice to see your doctor is universal. 1850-715-996. One or two others that are in there on that. A lot of the attention is focused on the ED, and I know it's shocking, but nobody's mentioning the wards with no visitors allowed. I don't know how elderly patients are fixed the staff levels are really tight. Talking and listening to patients would be a luxury. Kate, my friend, works in an ambulance. He's always wrecked. His shifts are way too long. Somebody's going to be killed. And then they have to wait at the hospital until the patient is transferred. And people are wondering why there's a delay in the ambulance service. Yeah, that's something that's going on for years. So ambulance arrives at the hospital to, to get somebody into the emergency department. And of course, the whole trolley the whole kit and caboodle comes out of the back of the ambulance. Person is transported in. They can't maybe get them straight onto a bed in the emergency department. So they remain on the trolley while they're assessed. And sometimes while they're stabilised, they're still on the trolley. Thing is, the ambulance is outside then empty, waiting for its trolley. So the crew of the ambulance are sitting there literally waiting to get their trolley back. Now, you would think that there'd be one or two identical trolleys. Here, take that one. But it doesn't seem to work. Like that. Speaking of trolleys, uh, the numbers are out. The Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation gives a daily press release with the trolley watch figures. I can tell you that this morning at CUH there were 44 people on trolleys and the Mercy have 30. And those figures are taken by the nurses at 8am. So 74 people on trolleys in Cork this particular morning. 1850 715 We got some pictures in the post the, or in the, on Twitter the other day and in, by email of rubbish in Blackpool. Uh, look, there's rubbish all over the city, uh, illegal dumping all over the city, but there's a particular problem in Blackpool. Councillor Mick Nugent, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, PJ. Describe for listeners where this is because it's, hor- it's horrible the dumping that's going on there. In that poll, yeah, well, that's it's that's um, something that's been highlighted a number of times in diff- actually in different areas. Um, in in Blackpool, uh, PJ might be one specific area, but I know a number of councils have have raised it. Um, Thomas Davis Street and other areas in Blackpool, uh, PJ, seems to be an ongoing issue in in that area. You know, 
So what is the problem? Why, why is it so prevalent? It's, look, it's something, Peter, we've been discussing at um, pre, a recent city council meeting as well, and it would come up for discussion um, every so often, to, to be honest with you. Um, there had been a motion to city council as well, uh, Recently, as well, actually, Henry Kremen was on the council. Tomas Maloney McFinn had put a motion in as well. Maybe it's time that the city council would actually look at, um, I suppose, bringing back a domestic refuse collection service to the council. And that's something the council management came back to us on. I know Dublin City Council is looking at it as well. That, you know, it seems to be a factor. Um, yeah, we do hear this from time to time, Mick. Whenever we have a, a, an illegal dumping story on the programme, people say, oh, if they hadn't privatised the bin services, this wouldn't be happening. Is that a bit of a stretch? I think it's, look, it does, it probably doesn't explain all of it, you know, but I think it's it's been a factor right, since, since um, it was a 2011 that the City Council and um, Cork County Council privatised their service at the time, and there's some parties would have said at the time, look, you know, there is the possibility once it goes into private hands, um, you know, it could be increased costs and it could be, you know, it could be a factor. It could, you could see illegal dumping going on and it is going on yeah. um, in different areas, unfortunately. A very small number of people involved, um, oh, yeah. PG, I would say, like, but it is an issue in yeah. communities, you know. Something that comes up from time to time uh, in this discussion as well, Mick, is if you go to, to Spain, for example, you will find in many parts of towns and villages or whatever, massive communal skips put there by the council. And then, fair enough, the, the, there might be some private operators collecting the refuse, but the council itself puts out private skips. And if you put a private yeah. skip into a housing estate for litter people are more inclined to use that. Any yeah, and the council of, of communal skips? Yeah, well, the council does have a bulky goods um, collection service that every few months, you know, they might, they'll pick out a different area in the different um, wards in the city and uh, they would put in a skip. No, you couldn't throw everything into it, um, but you could put some things into it, you know, so we'll do that every few months. It was done now this year ahead of uh, bonfire night in different areas in the city. And I think that helps, actually. Um, and we'd have a community warden there, or city council people there, so it wouldn't be abused either, because there would always be the, the temptation, of course, that people just, you know, empty all their black bags in there. So that service is there. Um, councillors can arrange for skips at times as well in, in different areas. So that, that can happen, PJ. But, yeah, as you said, some countries would do it, or some countries, you know, would have collection of uh, refuge mm. in... I suppose, household rates or charges, you know, that there will be... What might be done also, make in other places, is that people who dump illegally would be pursued and fined until they felt it. Yeah, yeah. And it's something in the last number of years we've been discussing in the council. Now, the council does now um, have the, the ability to um, basically knock on your door. Um, they can knock on your door, either a local authority or a private household, and ask for proof of your waste collection service. And the council has done that in a number of areas, a number of areas that I would have highlighted the council in the northwest, in my own area. So 
probably interrupted a bit by um, COVID, of course, but hopefully they get back to that. Well, they'll go knocking on doors um, and they'll look for proof and they'll come back the second or third time. We probably need to see more of that and um, probably need to see more energy in the council around that. But I know one particular state, it did work. Um, it did work to a degree, you know, in terms of people knocking on your doors. Where's your waste collection sorrows? We'll be back next week. We need to see that, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. People get angsty when that happens, but you have to do it because we've got a massive illegal dumping problem in some areas. Thanks for that, Councillor Mick Nugent, Sinn Féin Councillor for the Cork City Northwest Ward. Right, was asking you about are you being asked for your COVID passes, your vaccination passes. Went to Dunmore House in Clonakilty twice in the past two weeks, asked for COVID cert each time, says Vera. Mark in Bantry supplied three examples of where certs weren't checked. We can't name them on air without going through it with them. Uh, but it just goes three places, uh, no one asked for a cert. The only place I was asked for, uh, two places, they were for a coffee. I see it every day online, how many people just don't care anymore. A workmate of mine passed last week from COVID, passed away when you hear them struggle for breath and not want to fight anymore, it is horrifying. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, a caller. I've been out three times in the past two weeks, only asked for my cert on one occasion. I did ask at the pub or restaurant if they wanted to see my cert. The manager got a bit flustered and took a cursory look at the cert and I waved it in front of him. I was asked for a cert in a pub last Friday, PJ, even though I was sitting outside um, because of my friend who just won't take the jab. Yet she wasn't asked for her cert when she went in, which she doesn't have anyway. Is there any enforcement at all? Hi PJ, we were at Leahy's Farm and Sea Church Ballycotton recently, both times asked for ID and the pass. I've been out and been asked for my COVID cert, so has my friend, but she's using her sister's cert. Yeah, see? Actually, there's a thing. In Singapore, I noticed this this morning, Fergal brought it to my attention. In Singapore now, if you're unvaccinated for no reason, in other words, if you have no reason other than I'm not doing that for myself, um, you know, if you have no medical reason or no practical reason not to be vaccinated and you happen to get COVID and you happen to end up in hospital, well, you're going to get a fine hefty bill. Uh, unvaccinated patients will have to pay their own medical bills from next month. Uh, Singapore currently has a worrying caseload. 14 deaths in the past 24 hours and 2,470 new cases. Their Ministry of Health says the government has been paying full costs since the start of the pandemic for anybody who ended up in hospital. Not anymore. If you're unvaccinated for no good reason now and you end up in hospital in Singapore then you'll be getting a bill for your care. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. What's next? Arts and ageing workshops and clinics are starting at Sirius Arts Centre in Cove and free and open to anyone interested in working with older people. You can book now for a place on the venue's website, SiriusArtsCentre.ie. 
The Right Here, Right Now Festival returns this weekend to celebrate some of the best in Irish music. There's two amazing concerts at Cork Opera House on Friday and Saturday featuring Mary Coughlin, Wallace Bird, John Spillane and Junior Brother. They're all playing with the Cork Opera House Concert Orchestra with tickets on sale now from CorkOperaHouse.ie. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or a live stream coming up by emailing us here on AAA at 96FM.ie. Access All Areas. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We've seen the news there in the last few days. The government has approved a 2% cap on rent increases in rent pressure zones. Now the rent pressure zones as we know are these areas many parts of Cork are a rent pressure zone. It's a designated area where the rent can't be increased by more than the rate of inflation. Uh, But now there's a new cap where inflation goes higher than 2%. The rent increase will be capped at 2%. The government says the measure will result in far lower rent increases. Adele Conlon is with the Office of Threshold in Cork. Adele, my first thoughts were, if your rent is already sky high, 2% of sky high is sky higher. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Absolutely. Um, Rents are just at an unaffordable rate at the moment. So 2% rent cap, yes, it's, it's going to improve the situation going forward. But unfortunately, the situation people are in now is quite dire. Um, you know, with rents, a one-bed property in Cork, for example, um, is, is now over €1,200. Um, two beds are, are heading for €1,500 and three beds just under the 2000 So 
they're unaffordable as it is um, rent pressure zones. Um, I suppose at the time they, they they were needed, but the way it was operated, uh, the criteria that was set out just drove rents up to these unaffordable levels. And of course, we have to think outside of the rent pressure zones now as well, where a lot of people are, have moved to during you know the last two years of COVID. They've gone to, to areas outside of these rent pressure zones. And we can see increases of nearly 12% in some of these areas. Um, so... You know, it, it would have been, I suppose, a better move if, if, if these areas outside the repression zones were dealt with as well in, in this new legislation. Activists and opposition politicians call for things like rent, um, a ban on any rent increase or indeed a forced reduction of rent. The counter argument to that is that landlords will start to leave the market. What's your own view in Threshold? Yeah, and, and, and we've seen that, PJ, that a lot of landlords are leaving um, leaving the, the sector and um, we have to find, you know, a balance. We have to ensure that landlords are, are happy in, in the market, um, but also ensuring that tenants have security, are paying an affordable rent um, and also have a good a property of good standards, which is another issue. Um so we need to find that balance um, with with the new housing for all plan. Of course, there you know there's a, a real drive now to increase supply, but um, landlords are paying you know up to to 52 percent tax on, on on their rental income, which is very high. So the government needs to address that. They need to look after landlords, but they also need to to look after tenants. So it's a, about finding that balance, PJ. Yeah, Brian Cowan once described the Department of Health as Angola. I'm thinking the Department of Housing ain't far short of it these days because no matter what the government does, it can't seem to get it right. No, it, it, it can't. There, we have a long ways to go, you know, and, and there are simple things that, um, you know, could be introduced which would would help. Like if we look at the HAP limits, I mean, for, you know, um, for a single single person there, the HAP limit, is, the limit there is 550 euros. But the property, the asking price on a one bed now in the city is 1,200. Um, you know, so it's putting fierce pressure there and, and we, we can see the homeless figures now starting to increase yeah. again. We had the moratorium for, for a period um, which protected people, but unfortunately we are seeing the homeless figures starting to increase now. Um, another simple step would be to introduce a national rent register so people can can see what they should be paying on a property. So if the asking price is above that, then then they can you know speak up and, and refer that to the Residential Tenancies Board. Yeah. An entity for housing again, PJ, like the, the standard of property is really poor. 19 out of 20 properties um, failed the, the, the HAP inspection in Cork City there recently yes. um, and the numbers have been I think 2% of Cork City properties were inspected um, so again you know an NCT for housing would would be there, a, a good there route is just to go as well so much wrong and lastly Idel briefly the front page of the examiner today and when I've been banging this drum on for, for a long time why 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 does it take two years to turn over a council property I know it's it's just too long. 
everything just takes too long. Um, local authorities need to be given the resources. They need to give, be given the money. Um, now, of course, PJ, we have another issue which everyone is experiencing if, if anyone needs work done in their properties, whether it be their, their property they own or rent, trying to get carpenters oh, and electricians. there's a shortage of tradespersons you know, at the moment, yeah. And, and that's my worry for the Housing for All plan. You know, the Housing for All plan, it's a really good, it's a great plan if it works, but on the ground, you have to, you know, there, there are these issues that need yeah. to be addressed, addressed. And if people come over to work here, there's nowhere for them to live. So there's a, we have a long way to go. Um, but of course, the, the one thing is, PJ, if I can encourage listeners, is to access information, to get the information. If you're, you know, issued with a rent increase, if you're issued with a notice of termination, to ensure that they they call us and get these documents checked, because fifty percent of the notices that come to us are actually invalid, you know, I according see. to legislation. I so see. it's really important. We just launched um, an awareness campaign there last week with the department. Um, so it's an own your rights campaign. So it's just about you know empowering people with with their information with information. Right. You, and you have a website rights. that people can go to. Absolutely, yeah. So it's www.thresholds.ie. Okay. Our helpline number is eighteen hundred four five four four five four, and you can also contact us through web chat as well on our website. All right, Adele. Thanks very much, Adele Conlon from Threshold in Cork. There's also a conference taking place today. Uh, CEO of Sophia Housing is Tony O'Riordan. Tony, good morning. Uh, tell me about this conference and about the work that Sophia does. Well, the, the, the work that Sophia does in Cork is a real kind of uh, insight into why this conference is important. Sophia is now working in Cork for the last 20 years, and our motto is providing homes. Uh, supporting people and we're very much a niche organization in Cork and throughout Ireland in that we work with people that need a home but also who have a support need and this conference um, is very much getting an insight into what those support needs are and um, the majority of the people that uh, we're working with in Cork have not only need for a home but also have an addiction and mental health support yeah. need. Are and, there reasons, uh, yeah. are, are there if you like, yes, researched yes. reasons yeah. why some people yes, are more yeah. prone to becoming homeless. Yeah, and I think, PJ, that is uh, the real important part of, of our work in Cork, but also this particular conference and seminar where we're getting uh, solid research and data from Cork, from across Ireland and across the world, which gives us an insight into why people have those support needs. And the majority vast majority of adults that we're working with that are homeless as children and as young people they themselves witnessed addiction or abuse neglect mm. poverty and that in turn caused significant pain and hurt and then led them um mm. you know to deal with that through addiction and, and mental health support this is the ace isn't it adverse childhood experience yes yes thing. yes yeah. yes yeah, and I suppose uh, what uh, we have found in in Sofia is that adopting that approach, adopting that understanding, um, is essential first. And providing the home in itself is not enough if you don't resource it. Providing visiting supports to people yeah. so that they settle permanently out of homelessness. Yeah, because there there are people, aren't there, Tony? And I'm sure you've come across them, and, and they're misfortunate. You find them a place, and you say, "There you are. There's your front door. There's your key. There's your home." But that's where the work actually starts, because they have to be empowered to keep it. 
Yeah, and I suppose it's a it's a policy failure um, and it's a service failure if um, that support isn't provided because all the research tells us that without that support, people are really against it and up against the odds of actually making it um, successfully out of homelessness for good. But we have the opposite story in Cork where we've actually provided that support consistently a good quality home with visiting supports. Last year, over 90% of the people we supported remained permanently out of homelessness. That meant they managed their tenancy, they paid their bills, they uh, integrated into the community, and more importantly, they didn't relapse back into homelessness. Um, And so it's kind of proof here on our doorstep in Cork that it's a model that works. Right. Well, congratulations on the success of what you do and have been doing for many years. The conference is on at Nanonagle. Is it online? Um, we're, um, if people go to www.sophia.ie on our homepage, there is a link to the conference material and uh, parts of the conference presentations are also being Zoomed live as well. Okay. All right, Tony, and uh, have a good conference. That's Tony O'Reardon, CEO of Sophia Housing. Uh, working on the theory that you don't just need to give a person a roof over their head and a key to their own front door. You also need to work with them and help them to stay there. 1850-715-996. On the COVID certs, I've been in the South County and in Pacino's in Douglas and was asked, always asked for my COVID pass and photo ID. That's from Deirdre. Took my sister for lunch for her birthday in Mallow. Was taken straight to a table. Never asked for anything. I was in a Cork hotel last Thursday with a group and none of us were asked for a cert. I brought it to the staff's attention. We were told it wasn't necessary if you're in a group. There is something of an anomaly in a hotel. Uh, You don't... Hotels aren't asking. I'm not too sure why, but they're not. Even if you do come in from the street into a hotel, hotels aren't asking. Because for the residents, they don't have to ask. Which, by the way, I think is crackers. I think it's absolutely crackers that you can book into a hotel and avail of all those services, bar and restaurant and all those things, and not have a pass. I think it's just crackers that those who are determined not to get vaccinated purely for their own silly, selfish reasons can book in to a room next door to me and my wife and my son uh, or anybody else and they couldn't give a toss about our health. They're booked in next door, and the hotel isn't checking. I think that's just mad. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Something else has come in, and we've contacted Garda Press about this. Uh, just want to bring something to the attention of your listeners. There was a woman getting into a car in Mallow on Saturday evening. She noticed a man crouched down. She frightened him away. A friend was getting into her car shortly afterwards. The same fellow was hiding. He drew a knife. But again, she managed to get away. We've contacted Gather Press to find out more about that. Why is PJ so concerned about the unvaccinated when he's vaccinated himself? Simple. Very, very simple. This is my personal belief, and I will it's the it's the rock I'm happy to perish on. I think if you are physically able to receive the vaccine. It is your civic duty in a global pandemic to do so. That's my personal view. I was trying to find words for it for a while, 
But unless you have a specific... And I, I salute the authorities in Singapore for what they've done. If you're not vaccinated for no other reason than I don't want to, or it's my choice, you get in hospital, do you get a bill? I believe it is your civic duty if you're able to be vaccinated. And that's the rock I'm prepared to perish on. 1850-715-996. Quick reminder, Cork's 96FM's 10K toy giveaway. Back with you uh, this Christmas. Get ready for fun and for play. We have loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees to give away for free. Listen to KC and Ross in the morning and all day long from next Monday, November 15th. And for your chance to text a WhatsApp in to win. It's Cork's 96M's 10k toy giveaway with Douglas Village Shopping Centre. 50 years at the heart of the village. Listen and win from next Monday. Only on Cork's 96FM. We got a handwritten note from Liam and if you're listening Liam, you didn't give an address but the contents of your note are very interesting to us and we're working on it. I'm not going to read it directly because there's a bit of legwork involved in this but it was a handwritten note from Liam about the the National Children's Hospital and hospitals in general and how they're all being funded. Uh, no, there's, or Liam, rather, there's a bit of work involved in answering that question, but it's an interesting one. And we're looking at it. And if we can get answers, we'll get them for you. Uh, but thank you for that. It's it's unusual to, to get a, a handwritten uh, note these days, but they're always welcome. Yes, snail mail, old-fashioned mail. Uh, 96FM Broadcasting House, Cork. 1850-715-996 is our number. I'm going oh, to the power. Yes, can I get up there to the top? And I will open this. Here's an email that we got. I'm writing to you uh, as I recently had my electricity supply switched to prepay power by my landlady. And she told me initially she was switching. I clenched up with anger because I knew it had been ridiculous charges on top of the recent hikes in the price of petrol and oil. However... Once it was installed, I was horrified to learn my 20 euro on electricity is in fact a miserly 8 quid as the standalone charge comes to nearly 12. What? I'm fully aware that energy prices went up and that's applicable to everyone. My issue is these charges of 12 euro a week. It literally costs me more to have the box in my house than it costs me for electricity. As I'm a student on a budget, I'm literally hoping for good weather at least once a week so I can dry my clothes outside. Switching on the heating will drain my already drained electricity supply. Lately, I find this country too difficult to live in and question if I should have just emigrated instead of going back to college. I'm sure you have numerous emails and people in worse situations. I'd just like to know, how is this even legal to extort people with these absurd Standing charges. That is ridiculous. A 20 euro top up. And it's a 12 euro standing charge. That's just utterly bonkers. Bonkers. In 2021. 1850-715-996. few more of these coming in. Uh, I've been to a few cafes and restaurants. I've been asked for my COVID cert and my contact details, but never for ID. You're supposed to be asked for both. Because you can get a fake cert and there are people going around with fake certs on their phones and the fake cert will come up and put a name under it. But then the photo ID is to match it up. I carry my cert on my phone and I carry my public service card 
in the wallet with my phone so they can double check any time that they want. Hi PJ, I was in the Montanati Hotel for a family celebration a few weeks back. They were very strict on entry, only with a certain ID. They kept a safe environment for all patrons visiting. An amazing job from Mick, who's working in ovens. On dumping, dumping. Uh, my problem is not so much the dumping. I, I'm a pay-by-weight system. My neighbour just puts his weight in other people's bins, though, including mine. It's a challenge now to make sure my bin is full to the brim because I wouldn't give him the satisfaction, especially trying to fill it with light stuff so I won't be cutting off my nose to spite my face. But I'll do it. On what's happening in Singapore, Sheila says, I think anyone with COVID who's not jabbed should not get priority. In fact, because resources are so scarce, and there's plenty of people who need treatment, they shouldn't be treated at all the way things are. Well, unfortunately, Sheila, that will never happen. That will never happen, fortunately, because you can't refuse to treat anybody. But what they've done in Singapore is a case of, uh, it's if you're not vaccinated, that's fine. But if you end up in hospital, you're going to get a fine bill. You're going to get a fine bill. 1850 I want to talk to um, Professor Eva Doherty about the difficulty of living with someone with an addiction. Okay? Obviously, we've talked to so many people who have addiction themselves. There was a super article in uh, the Examiner recently. Was it the Examiner? No, it was the Independent about living with an, an alcoholic. And it's a whole enlightening thing. Um, Dr. Uh, Professor, Professor Eva, I'm out, of, I'm out of time this hour. Maybe you can come back, come, come back to me after the news and we might do that. Would you be okay with that? Sure. Great. Okay. Thanks very much for that. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie the best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live with Now. Join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Just something that I was doing there over the weekend. Uh, I was listening. Okay, don't laugh. I was listening to the new ABBA album. Well, it's called Voyage and it's actually quite good. I was listening to it on Spotify, pottering around the house over the weekend, and I was convinced that I heard them singing about Kilkenny. They are singing about Kilkenny. 
on the new album. More on that in a little while. I promise. They've even issued a statement about it, believe it or not, that they're uh, singing about Kilkenny on the new album. That's that's to come before 12. Lots of people ringing up as well about vaccinations and getting boosters and not getting boosters and that voice message we had before the 11 o'clock news, Kevin says look the messaging, can it be any simpler? Look at the mess we'd be in at the moment if we didn't have 90 something of us vaccinated and I hear Dr. Nabarro from the World Health Organization who has of course been a guest on the opinion line more than once over the last 18 months but Dr. Nabarro is concerned now about the situation here in Ireland with the daily case numbers. At the moment, the ICUs and the hospitals are coping. They're coping, but they can't take another surge. You can't afford too many more in ICU and you can't afford too many more in hospitals. And that's what's worrying people. The high numbers of cases per day does invariably lead to some high numbers in hospitals. And that's where we don't want to be. But if we were back where we were in January with no vaccinations, we'd we'd be shut down by now. We'd be completely shut down. We'd be back in the spring of 2020. It's where we'd be. Uh, But thankfully, vaccines have prevented us from going back there. Uh, So far, at least. And you hope, 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 hope that we stay where we are and that we don't go backwards. A couple more of those comments later on. And yes, I repeat what I said. I do consider it uh, one's civic duty if one is physically able to take a vaccine. I think it is a a, a civic duty in a global pandemic to do it. Do it for yourself and do it for your fellow man or woman. 1850-715-996. I read a piece in The Independent in the last few days uh, about a writer called Liz Fraser whose partner was a chronic alcoholic and she stayed with him for many, many, many years. And she's written a book about that called Coming Clean, which is a memoir but what it's like being the partner of an, a- an active alcoholic. And we have talked many times, and I'm sure we'll talk many times again, to those who have battled with and dealt with their addiction. But we don't talk about or to the other people in that relationship. And Professor Eva Doherty, as I mentioned before the news, deals quite an amount of these people, de- de- deals with them professionally to try to help them through uh, the problem. She's a clinical psychologist at evadoherty.com and she joins me. Professor, good morning and thanks for holding. Hi there, no problem. So talk to me about being the the spouse or indeed any family member of an alcoholic. What are the things that you have to get used to living with? Well, it's it's usually quite gradual and it can kind of come on people without them realising what's happening. Um, I mean, it's a slow descent into chaos, I'm afraid. Um, You know, broken promises, unreliability, you know, lack of predictability, not knowing when someone's going to come home and what way they're going to be, um, not being able to depend on them. Um, And usually people's reaction to this is to make do and cover up and, you know, try and put on a good show. And if they have children together, you know, they want to try and put on a good front for them and and um and so they can often you know sort of try and and as i say make do which in aa language would be called enabling you know it's trying to sort of cover up but but unfortunately that often just allows the problem to keep continuing on you have to accept don't you 
if you are living with someone like that. It is a disease. They're not a bad person. They're a sick person. Yeah. I mean, the disease model is quite controversial, but um, I mean, certainly, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt they, they need help. Mm. Uh, and and there's I mean there are people who who you know of course manage to get themselves out of out of a cycle of addiction on their own but um, it's awful awful difficult yeah. I mean most people need to get help. Can focus on what you just said there for a second. The disease, the disease concept is controversial. Why? Because it doesn't have an identifiable pathology as such. You know you can't do a test on somebody and say. That's what's wrong, you know, in your brain or in your in your physiological system or you don't have, you know, there's there's nothing you can identify mm. that's actually not, you know, not wrong. Isn't it a problem um, of mental, mental illness, though? Yeah, exactly right. So it's definitely an illness. And I mean, there's loads of illnesses that people have where pathologies can't, you know, be identified. So, mm. you know, that would be common enough. So it's definitely an illness. Whether or not it's a disease is the controversial bit. Yeah, there is yeah, a difference. Yeah, yeah. To, to the layman, I guess, maybe one means the other, but thank you for the clarification. <laughs> you're, you're a big supporter of Al-Anon, which I don't, I, I, think it's not, I don't think it gets enough mentions. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so it's there for, um, set up in the 30s um, by the spouse of the gentleman who set up AA, whose name I just won't come to you right now, but but she set it up. Yeah, thank you. She set it up, um, you know, to support the spouses, family members. And the, what's really neat about the Al-Anon movement is that the steps that you have to go through are are kind of mirrors of the steps that somebody who's addicted has to go through. And I think the people often struggle with the very first one. You know, the very first one for Al-Anon is really about accepting that you don't have control over, you know, your nearest and dearest, that you, you, you know, you could, you could do anything you could think of and it's not going to shock them into realising, you know, what's wrong unless they are at a place where they're ready to do that themselves. Mm. And I think that's a really hard thing for people to come to terms with. It's a, it's a similar challenge to what someone who's addicted has to come to terms with which they you know they have to accept that they've lost control yeah. over the substance um i guess if they if but, they won't accept that how can you accept number one on the Al-Anon list yeah well i mean it 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 doesn't have to coincide do you know what i mean so it is possible for somebody who's practicing that Al-Anon step to come to terms that they don't have control over the addict even though the the person who has the addiction doesn't accept that they don't have control over the substance, if you know what I mean. They don't have to happen in tandem. In fact, they often don't uh, happen in tandem. In your work, I think, Professor, you come across uh, mostly women um, as as the, if you like, the, the, the other half of the yeah. Of, of the couple who have an addicted. It's mostly, mostly women who come to see you. Have you figured out why that is? Uh, well, not really. Um, I mean, we could. I mean, we could. We could argue the usual stereotypes. You know that men, you know, don't aren't aren't as comfortable as women talking about their emotions or their problems. Um, I don't find that as much. I nearly have about fifty fifty men and women, so I don't think that's the reason. 
I wonder whether, you know, it's 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 very hard perhaps for a man to say that he's married to um somebody who has an addiction problem and that he needs help about it. Um mm. I've no, I've no evidence for that, but it's just my sense that, yeah. you know, and I suppose, you know, a a woman who is alcoholic, let's say, you know, there's where we have very, very negative, I think, reactions yeah. to that. More you say in this article that I have in front of me that, that society is far more lenient and accepting of male addiction than female addiction. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think a man falling about the place drunk uh, is not as aversive to us as a woman falling about the place drunk. Mm, yeah. Then again, some alcoholics never fall around the place drunk. Um, maybe not in the mid stages, but at some point, most most yeah. of them end up that way. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, mm. it's 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 a very complex area. If anybody is living at the moment with a partner and they're worried about their drinking. Or they're worried about living with someone's drinking because it's not, you know, people who say, "Oh, just leave." So where are you going to go half the time? Where mm. can you go and who can you yeah. go to? So if someone would like to contact you or indeed find more information, you, I think you'd recommend Al-Anon as a first stop, would you? Definitely, yeah, absolutely, definitely. And what what AA and Al-Anon always say is you've got to go around to about six different meetings and try them out because they do differ, you know, before you find, uh, before you before you decide that it's not for you, you know, give it a good go, try it out. I mean, it really is like, even when people come to me, I will always try and encourage them, you know, to go there sooner or later uh, because there's nothing like hearing, you know, other people who are going through the same thing as you talking about it yeah. and talking about how, how they got out of it and, and yeah. how they started to look after themselves and put themselves first. Yeah. I've spoken so to people who've thing. been to meetings like that and they say how empowering it is to realise mm. you're not the only one. Yeah, absolutely. Because you get completely overwhelmed and, you know, in inward looking and you think that you're the only one, you know, with, with this kind of a problem. Um, or, or for some reason, you know, it's so complicated in your situation that it's different. But actually... You know, people will discover they have so much in common with yeah. other people if, if they go along. There's there's nothing you can bring into this room that we haven't seen before. And that's a great reassurance for people. Thank you for that. As Professor Eva Doherty, clinical psychologist, com is her website. And of course, if you are a person living in a situation like we're talking about, reach out. You'll find Alanon. They have a website and they'll help you if, even if your partner or the person in your house with a drink problem, even if they're not getting help, you can still get help from Al-Anon. I have indeed heard of people who just, the alcoholic in the house refuses point blank to go anywhere, let alone AA. But the spouse or the brother or the sister, they go to Al-Anon and they get help. 1850-715-996. On the hospitality situation, and I'm asking about people who are you being asked for your COVID cert and your ID? Because you're supposed to be asked for both. And we're getting a lot of responses. Morning, Peter was in a bar in Cork at the weekend. No certs, no names, staff at no masks. Is it any wonder cases are so high? The simple guidelines should be followed by all. It's not that hard. This place was a disgrace. Shirley says, we ate at the Water's Edge Hotel in Cove. We were both asked for certs and ID. 
Uh, PJ, I hear the dog owners at the Greyhound track have to show their cert on entry with their dog, but you can go to a GA match with no cert. Can you understand that? PJ, I was in Fernhill House Hotel. We were all asked for our cert. Each of us were greeted by name. Very good experience. My husband had been going to a certain pub in Ballancolig for the past four Sunday nights. was never once asked for his cert. During the jazz weekend, people were sitting up at the bar. He actually left that night and came home. And we are getting people saying, well, why aren't you naming the places? Will you not name and shame? You can't. You can't. All right? This isn't Twitter. Right? You can't name and shame. We have to check with the venues themselves. We have to fulfil certain um, due diligence, shall we say. And maybe then we can name some places. Okay, there are rules with regard to how we do this. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie They can call me Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Uh, the second series of a great programme got underway on TG Cahar last Thursday at 9 o'clock. I speak of Guaranteed Irish. It's put together by a great company called Dundara Television and Media. It's a seven-part series featuring local businesses around the country. It's a super piece of work and it's fronted by uh, the national treasure that is Mary Kennedy. Mary, good morning to you. <laughs> good morning to you, yeah. PJ, my, every time somebody mentions national treasure, my, treasure, my brother says, should be buried six feet under like a piece of treasure. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's a very good show. It's a very interesting show. How did, how did you come you. to be involved? Um, well, uh, quite simply, uh, when last year when the, the first series was decided on by uh, T.G. Cahar and Dundara, um, the, they asked me would I like to be involved. And I suppose they, they reckoned that it would be something that I would be interested in because of the years and years, 15 years, 15 lovely years of travelling the country, showcasing the things that we have in this country. And uh, I, I think Irish people like to find out about stories behind uh, be it a company or an initiative or a project. And yeah, so I was delighted to be asked. And yeah. then I was delighted to be asked to do the second series as well. Yeah, we're doing, you've done things like Clonakilty Black Pudding and Super Value. Now, Super Value, as you, a lot of people wouldn't know it, Mary, but even though we are so proud of it here in Cork, Super Value and its, and its parent company, Musgrave, is, is a Cork company and one of the biggest employers in the whole country. Mm-hmm. But you got behind it, didn't you? 
Yeah, and also the nice thing about Super Value is, and, and it is true of all of the, the, the companies that are, if you like, carrying the, are part of the, the guaranteed Irish family, um, they, they support local community. And for very many years now, um, Super Value has been, well, with the GAA, but also um, uh, Martin Kelleher has always been a great supporter of the Tidy Towns. Mm. And with Nationwide, we've done an awful lot of work with the Tidy Towns. But super, this is um, Ryan's in Blanmire is the actual one that's Game featured Ryan, yeah. um, that we visit. Yeah. And uh, there's so many initiatives. You know, they're always looking to support local producers. You know, the Food Academy where people submit their, their new product and if it makes the grade, it goes on to the Food Academy. And, you know, there are, Super Value, yes, is started in Cork, um, but there are 223 shops that's all right. around the country. And the lovely thing is there they're kind of it's like a franchise they're they're run by a local family which um which which i think adds to the the appeal as well a yeah. person a member of the community a company i'd come across and you also feature in it is ackle island sea salt sea salt that's one of the most fascinating mm-hmm. ones i think in the country I, i've I, I just picked up on a documentary about it one night and that's fascinating i thought yeah i know um there are so many like the the these are Things these are um, resources that are on our doorstep, and that uh, that started off again with a very small family concern around the kitchen table, mm. and now has a, a huge concern going on Ackle Island. And these are the the kind of um, initiatives that will breathe new life into rural Ireland. And there is a, a government program which is up and running at the moment. Our rural future. It's a five year plan, and people like Ackle Island Sea Salt, and Super Value and Firebird Heating System, which is another yes. uh, Cork company which we're featuring this week. Um, they're they're like that's based in Balavicora in the Gaeltacht, um, and like it's just giving um, opportunity and jobs, and you need jobs for people to to say, "I'm going to stay here and rear my family here." And uh, I, you know, it's, it's just so lovely to support all of these and to give them a platform so that they can you know, give themselves a pat on the back and that we as viewers can see the, the good work that they're yeah. doing. Another one you do, of course, is, is Clonakitty Black Pudding, which is a global yes. brand now, but still a little <laughs> family business started around a kitchen table. Absolutely. And it was um, a, a young married couple that bought this butcher shop and then realised that there was a, a, a secret recipe for um, which had been handed down through the generations for the black pudding. I did, during the interview, try to get the recipe uh, out, oh. but it was not going to happen. That was just not going to happen. <laughs> I know, Never going I know. to happen. But you know the other thing that's lovely about Clonakilty black pudding... Um, one of my daughters is vegan and they do the gr- loveliest Clonakilty vegan black pudding. It really is gorgeous. So, you know, uh, it's not a kind of as if you're stuck in a, in a time warp, um, a recipe from, that has been handed down generations and generations. There's innovation happening in all of these companies um, as well. And there's a kind of a sit-down interview with a representative of the, the, the company in each of the uh, programmes, two in each programme, and then a visit to, um, to a concern, to part of the, the, the business. And that really, you know, it's, it's getting behind the scenes and it's, uh, and it's very well produced and researched. So, I mean, Dundara do a great job, I have to mm. say. And TG Car are great for supporting, um, the, you know, the, the, the whole homegrown and, and um, celebrated their 25th aspect. anniversary just last week. Yes. And, 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 you know, great, great, great channel. And they do make, like you say, great 
documentary programs. After the 15 years in Nationwide, and, and Nationwide. you missed being on the road, I guess. Um, well, it's nice to be kind of doing things in in little spurts. Um, I, you know, I, I loved Nationwide, but uh, it's it's a juggernaut. Mm. It keeps going, um, you know. And I suppose the thing that I would say to people is, uh, okay, coming up to retirement from a, a full time job uh, can be a scary place yeah. if you've got, spent a lot, a lot of your energy has gone into that but never be afraid there's it's really it's a new beginning it's a, a new chapter I cannot get over how interesting and how different and how stimulating the the projects that I've been working on and not working on kind of enjoying mm. um, have have really been you get to a certain stage in life I've also got two little um, grandchildren and they're down in Limerick and uh, it's nice to be able to factor in, okay, I'll be down there for two days and I yeah. oh, can't do that because I'm working, but not all the time. It suits me. I'm, yeah. you know, if there's different stages and different, um, different lovely things about the different um, ages that we go through. Yeah. And I'm enjoying this one, I have to say. Good. And it's good to see you back on the television. Mary Kennedy, uh, presenter of Guaranteed Irish on TG Car into Series 2 with a lot of Cork focus. Uh, this week has the Firebird heating people, but they're also looking at Clonakitty Black Pudding and Super Value and, and others. Good show. It's on TG Car on Thursdays. 1857-15996. <laughs> Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. My small bit of business to clear. Councillor McNugent was on with me before 11 talking about litter in Blackpool. But he also, we were very busy, he also wanted to make a point about the traffic situation in Blarney Street, which we were speaking about with Tom earlier. And he's just come back on WhatsApp just to make that point, which we're happy to let him do. Councillor McNugent, Sinn Féin, I would support Tom Coleman and the Residents Association in Blarney Street in their efforts to get something done with the traffic uh, system. What I have proposed is that it will be done on a trial basis, the one-way system being, propo- being proposed by the, the residents there, that will be on a trial basis. So we're expecting uh, further reports back from the City Council executive on um, proposals to try and alleviate the issues of traffic on Blarney Street and it's really about time that something is done there. All right, thanks for that, Councillor. Uh, 1850-715-996. There's a new bread on the market called Chia Tef. I hope I have the pronunciation right. Chia Tef. It is also (laughs) known as the Magic Poo bread. I kid you not. And one of its fans is movie star Goldie Hawn, who bought a huge stock of it when she was heading back to the States. And uh, this bread is the brainchild of Karen O'Donoghue, who has moved her operation from the UK to County Mayo, but you're originally from Cork. Hi, Karen. Hi, how are you doing? Good. What an intro. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the, the... the history behind Chia Tiff bread. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was born with genetic IBS um, and experienced kind of horrendous constipation my whole life really with it. Um, And in my early 20s, I delved into the science uh, behind our microbiome and basically um, just formulated these kind of mathematical equations based on how your gut bacteria likes to eat um, and placed recipes on top of those equations uh, which ultimately led to the development of this magic poo bread, uh, which took me about 18 months to develop. Um, but after that 18-month period, um, when I started eating it, it completely eradicated me of my IBS symptoms and did so for thousands of people throughout the UK. And this was done using a mathematical theory? Yeah, so, yeah, so basically, like... Uh, our gut bacteria likes to eat in certain ratios, so a certain amount of dietary fibre to dietary protein. Um, and then there's a whole host of minerals and vitamins uh, that we need to, to get into our microbiome to fertilise the growth of new good gut bacterias. Um, and essentially through kind of years of research and just eating up as many research papers on the gut at the time as I possibly could back in kind of 2013, 2014, um, this kind of equation became very obvious and transparent to me. Um, it's my approach to it, of course, but it, it it's an approach that became very, very obvious. Mm. Um, and as soon as I kind of implemented that as a formula and a method of um, recipe developing, um, it, it seemed to work. It seemed to become kind of a bulletproof way of doing it. So what is TEF? So teff is the seed of love grass and love grass uh, was the first grass ever domesticated for human consumption on the Ethiopian highlands back around 8000 BC, they believe. So it predates wheat, corn, buckwheat, all those other grains. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, teff is smaller really than a poppy seed. And, and because of that, it is hugely high in fibre and like all other grains, it can't be split into its bran and it's kind of white, for want of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know when you're eating teff that it's always whole grain, which um, for me is amazing. Okay. And then chia, that's the, is that the chia seed? Yeah, that's the chia seed, exactly. Yeah, it's funny. When you're coming up with the name of a bread, you know, you're, you're trying to pick the ingredients that uh, are in, in the bigger quantities and they end up being in the title. So... Chia just happens to be in there. I mean, the, the the title of this spread was established in 2014. It probably needs an update. But uh, I think Magic Poo Bread is a much better name for it. <laughs> <laughs> now, how impressed were you when Goldie Hawn bought a load of it back yeah, to the I mean, US? Yeah, like, look, that was a real moment for me, you know, like uh, to, to, to get such a beautiful text off... I mean, someone who uh, I'm sure like many females around the Irish countryside has made a huge impression on me. Uh, yeah, that was that was a real moment, a real moment. Yeah, yeah. The Happy Tummy Company is also a lovely name for a bakery, by the way. I forgot to mention that earlier on. <laughs> now, the brass tacks of this is while it may be extremely good for your stomach and all of those things, Chia Tef bread is not cheap, is it, Karen? No. No, absolutely not. How much is it? So it's 25 euro a loaf. um, And that is due to the labour that goes into it um, and the ingredients and the time. So uh, for many people, that price tag will be shocking. 
But for people like me who have experienced horrendous IBS or mm-hmm. other gut related symptoms for such a long period of time and have spent thousands of euro on probiotics, um, over the counter medicines, um, therapies uh, that, uh, I mean, it's cheap in comparison when you look at uh, the other options and all the medicines you've there. been using. And like, how many loaves, like, do you replace the family's bread with this, or does the, the person with the problem eat this bread or what? I mean, this loaf is for everyone. This loaf is going to, whether you're healthy or unhealthy, this bread is going to bring you better health. Um, and it also increases endurance levels. And so what I find is that in general, yeah, one person starts to have it in the household, generally someone with IBS or some sort of inflammatory uh, disease, but then the whole house starts eating it. Um, and in particular, I must say, toddlers and babies absolutely love it. And that excites me because it's so high in prebiotic fibre, which fertilises the growth of good gut bacteria. Sure. And if kids can start eating in this way, it's going to do them huge favours later on in life in their teenage years and things like that. Okay. Um, if someone, so, wants to, if yeah. someone wants to buy some, I think you're delivering now to the whole country, are you? We do. So as soon as your bread comes out of the oven here in Westport Mayo, uh, it cools for a couple of hours. We pack it up, um, DPD collect it, and then it's delivered to you the next day. Most people actually that got baked yesterday are receiving their orders now um, and we're getting off the feedback coming in from them. So, yeah, it's a 24-hour delivery service around Ireland yeah. and we're also delivering all over the UK as well and that's a two-day delivery service. And, you know, Karen, is it that... Have, have you had it tested by, by medical experts to, to see why this happens when people eat this bread? So, we're actually just about to initiate three different research projects uh, with the university in Ireland, which I'm incredibly excited about. Um, it's something I've always wanted to do, but to be honest with you, I wanted to build up enough anecdotal evidence before I invested in that kind of side of the business. Mm. Um, because the recipe and everything we do is completely based on science and everything that's been published, um, you know, you know, we, we, we have loads of doctors and scientists that fully support us. Okay. Um, okay. So, you know, so it, someone's it's wondering if would it, would it would it would they would would it help their diverticulitis? Yeah, it, I mean, this bread is designed to help all a whole host of autoimmune issues and inflammatory issues. So if you have inflammation in the body, this is going to help. I would say and I would suggest that anyone that has an inflammatory issue should be really looking at how they process the carbohydrates they eat. And so things like rice, beans, nuts, um, wheats, you know, all of those foods should be either sprouted, soaked or fermented. Um, and in that instance, anyone with any type of infl- inflammatory issue is going to notice a huge difference okay. within, I would say, a seven day period. Um, okay. But yeah, our, our, our whole ethos here at the Happy Tummy Co. is to provide people with foods that will reduce inflammation. OK. All right. People can Google Happy Tummy and order from you online and and obviously, we, we, we can't endorse anything, but it sounds like a it sounds like a good plan. Twenty five quid for a loaf of bread is not cheap. It's not cheap. But if she's getting the results, and people eating it are getting the results, who am I to argue? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. John in Cove. Where does Mister Coogan get his medical expertise from? 
I, as a citizen, can take advice from Neffet. Or leave it. More about that later. They're qualified, and even at that, I still have my choice. But why do I need second-hand expert advice? I've not taken the vaccine. I've no intention of taking it. By the way, all the world leaders in Glasgow, people who should be essential to the functioning of their country, or claim to be, were meeting each other, shaking hands, no masks, no alcohol rubs, people from high-incidence areas have lo- and low-incidence areas. Some depending on antigen tests that they've told their populations not to depend on. Others not even tested. Even if they prefer to have no care for their health, should they not try to avoid getting sick to avoid spreading it on or the cost and disruption to their nation. The key figures in government and the medical system were involved in a scandal to do with cancer in this country not too long ago. In my opinion, a lot of these officials have shown a lack of compassion and concern for minimising deaths in the past. And by the way, not just in this country, but in others. None of the second part of that explanation, John, tells me why you're a refusenik, why you just refuse. No, Nothing about the COP26 observation tells me that. But anyway, 1850-715-996. What needs to happen by the vaccines is serious fear at the moment, no matter what sanction. It's long periods of court waits, etc., before anything happens. It needs to be like Greece closed straight away after the inspection for at least the following day until they pay a mandatory 10k fine and it's that's the first time 1850715996 also getting some calls about duplicate boosters i got a booster shot from my doctor last friday then again i got a notice saying to present to city hall for a booster i appreciate it, it must be some kind of slip up I've been trying for days to make them aware of that. I'm okay, I just don't want the vaccine slot wasted. And if I'm the only one this happened to, it wasn't a big deal. But if it's happening to a lot of people, then it would be a pity. I understand it might happen in the rush to ensure they cover everyone, but they should make it easier to report duplications. I've been on the phone for 40 minutes waiting, and I had to hang up. I was inside the vaccine centre, there's another call. I was disturbed by a comment I overheard. Two workers were chatting and one said, it's lovely to have the older people in because a lot of the young ones are so aggressive. They don't want to be here. They're just doing it for the search. Come on, people. Treat them nicely in there. They're only doing their job and they've made a lot of sacrifices to do it. Even if you don't agree with the system, please don't take it out on them. Just before we go to the last bit of business today, I did mention ABBA singing about Kilkenny on their new album. They're singing about Kilkenny on their new album, um, and it's a song, a new song, and uh, <laughs> they, of course, the radio station in County Kilkenny was fascinated by this, so they issued a statement to them, and they said that When You Danced With Me was written about a time when Bjorn drove around the coast in Ireland from Limerick to Dublin, and they stayed in Kilkenny to stay, and they loved the place. So therefore, it is immortalised in ABBA's new album. I can remember when you left you There you go. Actually, I wonder, has anyone ever sung about Cork that way? There were many. I mean, we've got Summer in Dublin, which we know about, and we have Limerick 
you're a lady, which kind of was not exactly an international hit, but you know what I'm getting at. You know, and we had the Galway Girl, huge hit. Um, Anyone ever sung about Cork like that? But they must be 10 feet tall in Kilkenny when Abba are singing about them. 1850-715-996. There is an event at the Glucksman. Mathilde Corbineau is their communications manager. This is an unusual exhibition, Mathilde. Tell me about it. Good morning. Hiya. Um, yeah, so this weekend we have the Craft and Design Fair. Um, it's just once a year. And um, that's at a time when our exhibitions are completely um, changing and we have the space for the for designers and makers um, around the country. So it's a great, it's a lovely, um, it's a wonderful event actually um, where you'll find loads of different makers from like wood turning, um, there'll be jewellery designers, there'll be um, textiles um, designers, there'll be um, illustrations, there'll be loads of different um, products um, on display for sale. Mm-hmm. And it's a great opportunity to meet the makers and um, support local upcoming and established designers and makers for the mm-hmm. for Christmas. There's everything in there. There's pots and ceramics and all sorts yes. of different things. It's a very broad collection. Yeah, it is a very broad collection, yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really nice way to discover um, new um, new makers because like a lot of things might not be in the high street. Um, so you and it's a great way to meet the people who are behind the products, and they can talk a bit about their passion and how they 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 make their their objects. And so it's great. It's, it's a really nice. Um, it's a really nice event. Okay. And and yeah. the stuff is for sale, is it? Oh yeah, it's for sale. Yeah, it is for sale. Yeah. Okay. So it's like if you're looking for for presents for yourself or for your friends or family or for Christmas, it's 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 a wonderful opportunity. Um, because you'll find unique um, products, and the budget is is for everyone. You can find you'll be able to find um, product from one euro to a few thousands euro. You know, really? so okay. it's it is really for for everyone. It's how, great. How good is it to be able to have exhibitions and displays like this back again at the Luxman? You were closed for oh. so long. We were, and last year, unfortunately, we were not able to to have the craft fair. Um, so we're delighted to have it this year and exhibitions like it's great it's fantastic like we're we're going to have a new show now as well in December so that's that's really it's really exciting okay. it's great to have people back in the gallery alright well good luck good luck with it and uh, along with the success of the Glucksman continue Mathilde Corbineau is their communications manager John was back on John from Cove which I'll read it in just a sec one more quick reminder to you of course the Christmas jumper promotion with Simon we're back on board with them this year asking you to host your Christmas jumper day wherever you feel safest doing so do it in the office do it at home do it with your friends have a big zoom on a big screen and Zoom with your friends and family here and overseas and all wear your Christmas jumpers for the Cork Simon community. Get a fundraising pack at corksimon.ie and you can join us in Cork's 96M to help fight homelessness in Cork. Right, we've had a busy morning on all platforms today. John was on again to say, I would like to, Mr Coogan to state quite clearly that it is my choice and nobody else's whether I get that stuff into me, which hasn't even passed a normal license process. My comments on Neffet were not meant as a rationale, but reflect an opinion that is out there. I think it should be made clear it is my choice. 
and I do not have to give a reason. Okay, John, it is your choice, I suppose. I'm entitled to believe it's a very bad choice, but it's a choice nonetheless. On the bread. <laughs> yeah, the Chia Tef bread. Feck, PJ, when you said it wasn't cheap, I thought she was going to say a fiver, says Eugene. 25 quid for a loaf of that bread. Now, it's got all sorts of ingredients packed into it. They're not cheap. This Tef stuff isn't cheap, but 25 quid. Is she taking the pea? Never mind the poo, says another message. Uh, is it for sale in Cork? You can try the Happy Tummy Co.com. And if there's not for sale in Cork, they, they do deliver. But 25 quid for a loaf of bread, that's one of the best I've heard. And it's, look, she's very genuine in her business and she believes very much in her product. But 25 quid for a loaf of bread is pricey. It is very, very pricey. There's a couple of in there on antigen tests. I just won't get to them. I just won't get to them. It's been a very, very busy morning. With regard, once again, people who are saying if where if a premises isn't checking the passes and the IDs, they should be named and shamed. We can't do that. This isn't Twitter. We've had a few, quite a number actually, of reports this morning of premises not asking not checking, not caring. We can check with them and see what comes back and only then can we name them. We may well get to do that, but not today. For today, we're done. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry, and we shall see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.